Good morning and welcome to The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. It is Saturday, October 8th, 2022. And we haven't been around for a while because I had COVID. Uh, the last person uh, I thought would have COVID would be me because I did all the stuff. I stayed in the house, got vaccinated, all that. And apparently uh, my immunity had run out. And the first time I go out, I catch COVID and I was pretty sick. Uh, so we are resuming season three of the deal. So first thing I need for you to do is make sure that you tell other people that we're back uh, and also subscribe on all the platforms, YouTube, uh, um, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Anchor, Spotify, whatever it is, uh, get people, we need to get our audience back. So I know people have been calling, wanting to know what's going on. And it's not because Val Atkinson had done away with me. It was because I had COVID. Val Atkinson, uh, I'm so happy to see you uh, because I was wondering for a while if I would ever see you again. So welcome back to the deal. Thank you so much, Ed. Good to be here. Glad to see you. We missed you. And we're glad that you're doing much better. Uh, it's been a while. Uh, but we're ready. I'm sure our listening audience is ready to get back and take a listen to all of the magical things that have been going on in the news world and how it all affects all of us. Yeah, so, uh, I'm anxious to get started as well. Well, you know, Val, this is a really important time of year. We're coming up on the uh, midterm elections, but there's also some elections that are senatorial that are statewide that only occur every six years for certain seats. And as you saw in the lead up to the program, uh, there was a debate last night. Right now, there's a 50-50 split in the U.S. Senate. And that split means that Kamala Harris acts as a tiebreaker. Now, there, the, a debate occurred last night in Raleigh, which hardly anybody saw. If anybody, maybe I'm the only... <laughs> person in North Carolina who saw it because Val, Friday Night Football, uh, Cat Williams was in uh, Raleigh at, at PNC Arena. Maxwell was downtown in Raleigh performing a concert that was sold out. Over in Durham, there was a sold out concert and something going on at DPAC. Uh, people were all over the place. Uh, people are getting out because of COVID. And then here you go. We have a debate on that night. And and uh, in the in the first clip you saw coming in, it was just the introduction of uh, Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd. Tell me why this is a critical seat. I already expressed the thing about the fifty fifty, but it's it's much more than that, right, Val? Why is this North Carolina Senate seat opening so important? Well, let's talk first, Ed, about uh, how. Camilla Harris gets to be the tiebreaker. Uh, we're talking about there being 100 Senate seats. And of course, normally uh, there's no need for a tiebreaker. It's 51-49 or worse in the split. But when there is a time that there's a 50-50 tie, the person who holds the title of president of the U.S. Senate is the vice president, is the sitting vice president, which happens to be Camilla Harris at this time. 
So she would come in and cast the vote uh, to break any tie. That's why it is so important for Democrats, if they want to control, maintain control of the U.S. Senate, to win enough seats to continue with a 50-50 split, but more importantly, win two or three extra seats. So if they have one member or two members of their caucus that don't want to play ball, right, that we can still get things done in the U.S. Senate. That's why this race is so important. This along with some others, this being a big one. Now I want to say something about the strategy uh, used in dealing with the debate such as I saw it. And I, I'm one of those ones who saw a clip of it after it was done, a recording. Uh, I, what I saw it reminded me that the strategist for the Democratic Party, for Sherry uh, Beasley, uh, agreed with what Ted Budd wanted to do. What most of the talking points, is, and if you can go back and look at the recording, were Republican talking points. And when Democrats are discussing Republican talking points, they appear defensive. And when you're on the defense, you're losing in politics. And it was uh, amazing to me uh, how and why the strategies for the Democratic Party allowed the format to go forward as it was. Uh, it, it benefited, in my opinion, and I'll wait to see the polling, but in my opinion, it benefited Ted Budd more so than it did Miss Beasley. But we'll wait and see what happens. This guy is not qualified. Ted Wood for the next step, that is U.S. Senator. And the truth of the matter is he would be an acolyte for those Trumpers. That's all he's there for is to give them a majority so that the Trumpers can have rule of the roost. That should have been brought out in the debate. Wasn't mentioned one time. Uh, that's all he's there for. He will sit back and allow them to do whatever it is they want to do. So the Democratic leadership that's responsible for Sherry Beasley's campaign has got to use these last few days to really talk about the real issues. I saw a, a little uh, number, Ed, that said 7% of the people are undecided. I can't believe that. Bud in one hand, Beasley in the other, and you don't know which one you want to vote for. That's crazy. It means that you are lying and you just don't want me and Ed Clark to know exactly who you're going to vote for. You're lying. Uh, so it's not a, a set. So the campaign of Sherry Beasley has got to start examining the truth and dealing with it in such a way that people will say, okay, I understand what this race is about now. It's not about inflation. It's not about gas prices. It's about winning control of the Senate. People are afraid that they're going to lose their culture, their civilization, whatever. Talk real stuff and tell them what this race is about and stop getting distracted and say, well, we're working as hard as possible to bring down gas prices 
and the president is this is a bunch of crap, okay? You're letting yeah. them get away with murder. Yeah, so uh I want to remind you you're watching the deal with Ed Clark and Val Atkinson, and that's Val that's talking right now. And if you and if you are listening on one of the podcast platforms, again, it's the deal with Ed Clark, and you always find us at the deal with edclark.com. If you've been wondering where we've been, I had COVID. So if you're coming into the program after it started, that's where I've been. We're back. We're in the coming up to the end of season three, Val. I can't even believe it because we started the deal because of COVID. Uh, and uh, at the end of this year, it'll be season three, the end of season three of the deal. And so you can catch up on all those back episodes. We're going to try to get guests back on here and uh, an assortment of other things. Val, to your point, though about how Beasley has sort of, uh, or her campaign has sort of handed this to the Republicans. Let's look at this clip when they're talking about just what you were talking about, uh, where she's trying to uh, say that that uh, Bud had an opportunity to reduce gas prices. But is, um, is talking about what he's done, but he's not done anything because the reality is he's had every opportunity to vote against lowering gas prices. And he voted vote for lowering gas prices. He voted against it. And he at, did that at a time when he took corporate PAC money from big oil. He voted against lowering the cost of prescription drugs while also taking corporate PAC money from big pharma. He's had every opportunity to stand for North Carolinians and he's failed to do that. So Val, under normal circumstances, if, if we were dealing with uh, a campaign where Donald Trump wasn't a 900-pound gorilla in the room and the Republican Party wasn't in disarray, you may be able to talk about something like, you know, somebody's voting record or whatever, that kind of thing. Clearly, the Bud people feel like they got her over a barrel and all they, all they have to do is try to tie her to Joe Biden or whatever else. Uh, so uh, you were saying they have to do something. In your assessment, will they be able to? You're thinking, thinking about the campaign you've seen so far. Here's an excellent opportunity to win a statewide race, which we know Democrats can do in North Carolina, but it's not set up that way. Is there any possibility that Beasley can pull this out? Oh, there's always a possibility that he could be successful on this, but it's going to depend uh, mightily on the ineptitude of the Democratic Party. If the Democratic Party doesn't start really doing some hard, fast, uh, no-nonsense type of campaigning, uh, Bud could win this thing. And when I'm talking about the hard-nosed, no-nonsense campaigning, I'm talking about binary issues. Beasley and the campaign needs to start posing binary questions uh, to Ted Wood and his folks, such as, are you an acolyte? Are you a disciple of Donald Trump or not? Do you believe that the election was stolen or not? I mean, hit him with uh, binary type questions. We used to, in sales we used to call them closed end questions, uh, so that uh, he doesn't have a lot of wiggle room. He's very vulnerable on a lot of issues. You know, you you there ads being run about his bankruptcy and uh, the taxes and the amount of money that he gave himself and his family, $10 million, and let a lot of other farmers uh, go by the wayside. Talk about that. Bring it up and ask him a binary question about what he's going to do about it 
to make some of those people whole that he injured. Put him on the defensive. You know, you've got to start playing ball to win, not just playing not to lose. And as a, a sports person from way back, there's a big difference, Ed, and you know this, being an athlete, you're a former athlete yourself, there's a big difference between playing to win and playing not to lose. And what the uh, uh, Beasley camp has got to start doing is being aggressive, assertive, and playing to win, being over-the-top aggressive, and stop playing this nicey-nicey stuff and just going for the 7%. That appears to me that some of her strategists, that's what they're trying to do. Everything they do is trying to get that 7% that claim to be undecided, trying to appeal to their niceness, trying to, I guess he wants them to say, you know, these Democrat guys are nice people and they really play fair. So I think I'm going to vote for them. Hey, put that person in the back room somewhere and get somebody out here who are ready to smash heads and win games, okay? That's yeah. what you see right now. You've got to bring the hard hitters out and stop trying to out nicely the guy and think you're going to win that way because you're not. Right. Speaking of smashing heads, there's a guy down in Georgia who used to smash heads pretty good. He ran the football and would run people over, a guy named Herschel Walker. He's running against Raphael Warnock. Uh, let's look at this clip of him trying to explain his latest problems, and then we'll talk about him. I know why you're here. I do. And you're here because the Democrats are desperate. U.S. Senate candidate Herschel Walker making his first public campaign speech since allegations that he encouraged and paid for a woman's abortion. Back on Monday, a report from the Daily Beast claimed to have a receipt for the abortion, a signed Get Well card, and a bank deposit showing a personal check from Walker. Yesterday at a campaign event in Wadley, Walker defiantly shot back against the allegations. Have you reached out to any of the mothers of your children? No. To ask why? Why not? Uh, why do I need to? Well, because according to the article, one the woman who says that you paid for her to have an abortion is also the mother of one of your children. It seems like that's that's an easy way. Because to of the article, I had more kids. That's why I haven't reached out to anyone because I said no, and that's what I mean when I said no. I, I said it's not correct. That's a lie. In our latest 11 Alive Survey USA poll, data shows Walker trailing Democrat incumbent Raphael Warnock by double. So Val, clearly Herschel Walker is a heterosexual. He likes to have sex with women and he also does it unprotected. Uh, and he likes to get women pregnant. And in some cases, he can't even remember the women he's gotten pregnant and whether or not he's paid for their abortions. Now, all this on, I don't care what you do. If you decide to get women pregnant, whatever, you, you have to answer to that to that woman, your family, your whatever your religious beliefs are, whatever. But Val, Herschel Walker has expressed that he does not believe in abortion. He says that women should be criminally charged if they get abortions. There should never be an exception in the case of rape or incest. And he wants to make it a federal law. At the same time, there is ample evidence that he's been against all of that stuff. So uh, in the time we have here before we take a break, Val, set us up so when we come back after the break, 
we're going to talk about what the prospects are for Raphael Warnock holding on to his seat. But talk about Her- Herschel Walker real quick for me. Well, Herschel Walker is intimately, eminently unqualified for the position of U.S. Senator. He knows it. Everybody else knows it. So if there are two or three people still left out there who are just waiting, biting their fingernails on a piece of information here or there to allow them to make a rational decision as to who to support, Warnock or Walker, uh, this ain't it because it's a red herring. You know, uh, I don't know why, I know why the media keeps talking about it and bringing it up because it increases rating, which means more advertising money, okay? That's why they keep talking about it. But it's a red herring. And Herschel Walker is a hypocrite. Uh, He's done all of these crazy things. But I don't think there's anybody, not even in that 7%, Ed, who's saying, oh, I didn't know that he had uh, paid for an abortion because I'm a strict Christian anti-abortionist, and so I'm not going to vote for him now. If you believe that, uh, help yourself, because those kind of people, they're still going to be with me. And I'm going to end it there so you can go take a break. Yeah, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I want to talk about Raphael Warner's real prospects for winning this. The polls say he's ahead. I want you to explain to me why these polls are probably not right. So we take a break. Uh, on the way out, you're going to see more of Herschel Walker comparing himself to Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about it too when we come back. You're watching the video. And, you know, I have made doctors upset because of my view in the book. I made ministers upset because I said God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three different personalities. And even when Jesus was on the cross, you remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? Meaning he left his body, became somebody else, only for a split second because of sin. But then he came right back again and said, you know, forgive them for they know not what they do. So I said, instead of demonizing, calling someone a demon, or calling someone crazy, or saying that they are free because they have DID. DID is a coping mechanism that they use to get rid of trauma that they've suffered, not by the hands of themselves, or something that they've seen. So I said, it's God's guardian angel taking care of you until you can get help. So the reason I wrote the book is just to show people, you know, I'm not crazy. I'm not, I'm not a freak. I'm not, I am weird, but, you know, that's okay. We're Democrats. Independents. And Republicans. As judges, our job is not about politics. It's about standing up for what's right. And that's why we all support Sherry Beasley. She's independent and will get things done. But that's not how Washington works. Ted Budd is part of that problem. He's focused on what is good for him, not North Carolina. We don't need the same old politicians. We need someone different. We need Sherry Beasley. I'm Sherry Beasley, and I approve this message. And welcome back to our second segment of The Deal. I'm your host, Ed Clark. That's Val Atkinson. It is Saturday, October 8th, 2022. Uh, I'm here in Raleigh, North Carolina, Val's in the lovely town of Holly Springs, North Carolina, metropolis of Holly Springs. And we've been talking about two Senate races that have colored people in it, Val. And on the way out, we saw Herschel Walker comparing himself to Jesus Christ. That was in a talk he was giving uh, seven years ago. 
And in that talk, he was trying to explain his multiple personality disorder that he has. So if you don't know about it, Herschel Walker has been diagnosed with multiple personality disorder, and he went for treatment uh, to a Christian counselor. I, I'm not going to say anything about that. But this particular counselor believes that demons had possessed Herschel Walker. And the treatment they did was they used Bible verses and so on and so forth. And none of the treatment that the doctor gave Herschel Walker is recognized by the medical establishment. I'll just leave it there. So Val, the question I pose for you on the way out is, we saw those poll numbers in the clip that we showed about Raphael Warnock and the Herschel Walker race. And it says that Warnock is leading by a lot. We have been fooled by polls before, and there's a high number of undecided in Georgia in that poll. What do you make of that, and what are the real prospects for Raphael Warnock of winning that seat with that margin if we believe those polls? Well, it's something that we call in politics Ed, the Wilder Factor. And the reason it's called the Wilder Factor, Doug Wilder, who uh, was governor of, of Virginia uh, when he was running for that particular seat. Uh, he was listed uh, at one point as being double digits of, ahead of his opponent. Uh, he ended up winning, but only by one percentage point. And the reason they call it the wilder factor is in polling some people, normally conservatives uh, who happen to be white, Christian, conservative, Republicans uh, will tell pollsters that they are supporting uh, the Democratic candidate when they are not because they don't want to be listed as a racist. And they think the pollster may think that they are racist if they tell them they're going to vote Republican. So you can take those numbers when you inject the Wilder factor and you can, as we used to say, take it with a grain of salt because it's not as high as you would think it was. The same thing happened with uh, uh, Governor, uh, well, not Governor, uh, but Tom Bradley, uh, who was running for Governor of uh, California. And they had him winning by double digits. And when the day of the voting came around, they found that was almost the exact opposite. Uh, so the wilder factor is at play here. And I wouldn't believe any polls except the last one that's going to be taken on November the 8th next month. That's the real poll. So I would advise the uh, campaigns and supporters of uh, Warnock to keep your, your shoulder to the wheel, keep your nose to the grindstone, and keep working real hard uh, right on through the 8th of uh, November because polls can be misleading. Yeah, mo most definitely, Val. Uh, I, I, will, I will go one step further. It, they don't matter. The, like you said, the only poll that matters is do you have your ass in the booth on whatever date first Tuesday in November, or if you early voted. And we haven't even talked about that kind of stuff yet, Val. We'll talk about that next week because a lot of states will be into early voting by the time we're on the next time. 
including here in North Carolina. So we, we want to talk about that. I, I'll, we'll put a pin in there, and I want to remind you folks that you're listening to the deal and watching the deal. That's Val Atkinson. I'm Ed Clark. And uh, the Senate, U.S. Senate, is extremely important. Uh, Joe Biden has an uphill climb holding on to the House. And uh, we'll talk about the House next week. Val, let's switch gears. Uh, I want to show you a video. Crystal Ball, who's a Democratic strategist, has a show on. It's pretty good. And in, in this morning on her show, she was talking about the water crisis in Jackson, Mississippi. And, and we haven't given this enough attention, but let's look at this clip. And then I want to talk about that because there's some other implications to this. Wall Street is behind Jackson's water crisis. Why am I not surprised? A major credit rating agency jacked up interest rates in Jackson, Mississippi, curtailing infrastructure investments in the years leading up to the city's recent disaster. Um, but you, Matthew, and your, your colleague here, Ricardo Gomez, you all go even deeper than the past couple of years into the real origins yeah. of this crisis. So, I, I mean, the real beginning is is the EPA, uh, like, like they did in Flint, uh, fell down on the job and were not monitoring the extreme levels of industrial waste dumping into Jackson's water system. So that's kind of, that's the reason why this system is so degraded, is mass industrial dumping that was not regulated by the EPA. But there's some more recent stuff. So in 2013, uh, prior to uh, the election of the current mayor's father, who was also a progressive. Uh, the city, under the leadership of a mayor who uh, <laughs> didn't have the tightest ethical practices, okay. uh, decided to automate the city's water billing system. And so, Val, we're in the throes of hurricane season, and we'll talk about Hurricane Ian in a minute. But Jackson is a, a, a slow rolling crisis. <laughs> Uh, according to the clip we just saw, it's been going on damn near 20 years that the first the EPA put things in place that made it possible to put industrial dumping into the Jackson area, which put a strain on their water system. Then it became the you know your usual graft and whatever else, and then the system starts to fail. Uh, the reality is is now you have a community uh, of Black people run by Black people who are being blamed for not keeping up the water system when you have all these other ancillary issues on the outside. T talk to me about Jackson a little bit, because I'm I'm worried that, you know, the court, Supreme Court, which we'll talk about later as well, has pulled back on stuff like environmental uh, reforms and those kind of things. Is it possible for Jackson to survive? <laughs> through this water thing if there's no rules that force, you know, the government to help them out. Jackson, Mississippi is the quintessential example of what we used to call in the 70s, white flight. Uh, when uh, the Civil Rights Act of 64 and the Voting Rights Act of 65 start giving uh, African-Americans all kinds of authority and benefits and that kind of thing. And we started moving out to the suburbs. Whites couldn't do anything about that in terms of keeping us out legally. So they took their next example, uh, the next uh, possible thing that they could do, which was to move themselves. And uh, they moved 
out to the exurbs <laughs> from the suburbs and maybe even out of state, wherever, to get away from, from those people. So uh, that's what started happening. So it left uh, inner cities uh, with a, a group of people who were not the most uh, fortunate financially in the previous setup of residents. So they couldn't do certain things. Uh, their needs were higher and greater uh, and things began to deteriorate. Uh, they needed more help from the state, from the national level. Uh, and things just got progressively worse. And Jackson, Mississippi, like I said, is the quintessential example of that. But you could go around the nation and talk about uh, Detroit and, and Chicago and Washington, D.C. itself uh, and Baltimore and right on throughout these major cities that suffered from white flight. And that's what happened to Jackson, Mississippi at last numbers uh, they were well, well over 50% in the, uh, the 60s, 70s, 80s uh, in terms of the, the percentage of African-Americans there. Uh, home ownership is low. That means taxes are low. And any education system in a city or county, the primary source to fund the education system is property taxes. And if you have a locale that has very, very low home ownership, that means property taxes are down. So you don't have the funding to fund things at the school that you normally would. That teachers, the better teachers don't want to teach there because it's sustained on their record. I mean, it just goes on and on and on as to how the bad starts making things worse, feeds into the worst ever, and there's no good thing about it. Jackson, Mississippi is an example of all of these bad things here. So yeah. water, the water situation in Jackson is just one example of what you get from all of these things I just enumerated from white flight. That's how it got started. Yeah. And then, then of course, like I said, Wall Street taking advantage of people, as they said in the clip. But also, again, because we pay so little attention, Val, to stuff like the Supreme Court and how people get on the court, we're now uh, in a 6-3 supermajority for the uh, bad side, <laughs> the dark side, the Clarence Thomas Brigade. And, and so you see rollbacks in the EPA, but you also see rollbacks in other things, which is a good segue. Let's look at this clip about Katanji Jackson-Brown ascending to the Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court opened its new term Monday with a historic first, as Justice Katanji Brown-Jackson became the first black female justice to ever hear a Supreme Court case. President Biden nominated Jackson— Yeah, Katanji Brown-Jackson is great. Her first day was yesterday. She already um, got right in there, asking really pertinent and probative questions um, of the attorneys at the case. You know, so she didn't seem to need a whole lot of— uh, uh, time to get comfortable in her new job. I think she's going to be a great justice. I think she is going to have a great career ahead of her writing dissents because she is clearly in the minority on that court. And the things that are coming down the pipe are terrifying and horrible. And all she will be able to do is through her questioning at oral arguments and through her writing at decision time, 
all she'll be able to do is to highlight the extremism of the conservative majority voting bloc on the Supreme Court. So, Val, we got a sister on the court, finally, Kataji Jackson-Brown and Ellie Mistal, my man, with the big white afro, uh, points out that he was on Democracy Now!, he points out that her main role is going to be writing opinions that are dissents. She's mm -hmm. not going to be writing. She's not going to be writing in the affirmation <laughs> of the majority. I am a nerd, Val. You know this. Guess what I did all this week? Every night, I listen to oral arguments from the Supreme Court because you can do it now, right? So. I listened to oral arguments, and guess who was talking all the time? Clarence Thomas, mm -hmm. somebody who never talked before, never. But Katanji Jackson Brown talked all the time too, and it was almost as if she knew that if she didn't get on record asking questions, then Clarence Thomas was going to bogart everything. You know, the chief justice kind of makes sure that everybody gets a chance to speak. And some people just don't even say much. Gorsuch barely said anything in any of the arguments this week. Uh, and then Kavanaugh spoke a little bit and Amy Coney Barrett spoke and Sotomayor always speaks. Right. But Katanji Jackson Brown and Clarence Thomas almost was running the thing. And I felt like she was trying to make sure that he didn't bully and bogart his way into seeming as if he was in charge. But let's talk about reality, Val. It is six to three. Clarence Thomas refuses to recuse himself on the Donald Trump mar logo stuff because you know what? He is also the judge that oversees the 11th Circuit, which is where all the action is happening. What in the world could Katanji Jackson Brown do, if anything, or are we back down to this being people were too myopic in this last thing and said, let Donald Trump win and everybody will see how bad he is. And they weren't even thinking about the ramifications of the court being flipped. Well, first things first, uh, we've got to get some gonads going here and have uh, the, the guts to really take advantage of where we are now. We have a Democratic executive branch. Uh, the legislature is in democratic hands, although the courts are have a supermajority, as you just pointed out. Now, with all of that, there should be some talk about reframing the court, even though you may not be able to do anything about it. You can start the conversation. As you've said many times on this show, Ed, it's not in the Constitution anywhere that the Supreme Court has to be made up of nine justices. Nowhere does it say that. And it could be, and it should be, more than that. That's the first thing. Because if we try to wait until the natural order of things changes the concept and the numbers of the Supreme Court, I got a two-and-a-half-year-old grandchild that may have gray hair before that happens. It's going to be a long time. And it's crazy even to contemplate. You are allowing a guy like Mitch McConnell to overrule the Constitution, to overrule the executive branch and everything, 
and set a whole branch of the federal government up as he wants it for a generation or more. That can't be done, especially with the other side, just sitting back and doing nothing but complaining about it and telling people to go to the polls and vote. And if every eligible voter went to the poll and voted for Democrats, you'd still have a six to three conservative majority on the court. Yeah. Something else has to be done. And we've got to impress upon those people that have an opportunity uh, to do something to do it. Uh, Ms. Brown, uh, God bless her, but she is going to have a time of it until we get the nerve to change the makeup of the court. She's young. And I want to say one party thing Ed, before we go on the Supreme Court. You know, uh, uh, Ms. Brown, uh, Jackson Brown uh, is uh, married to a Caucasian gentleman. Uh, Clarence Thomas is married to a Caucasian woman. Uh, Camilla Harris is married to a Caucasian man. I don't want anybody to get the false impression or ask the question even, why are all of these black, highly successful professionals marrying outside of their race? I want to say this. I have a very close friend who has a daughter who is a law school graduate, single. I have another friend who has a daughter who is a law school graduate who is single. All Both of these young ladies and my son grew up together. We had birthday parties and everybody would be invited. Nobody knew that all three would enter a law school and enter that profession. My son is married, has a two and a half year old. These other two people, women, they are not. Why? Because the amount of black men that have professional degrees and are eligible and single is minuscule. Mm -hmm. so if these people and and uh, people like uh, Brown Jackson uh, and people uh, like Clarence Thomas and people like Camilla Harris, their profession puts them in close contact with people of the opposite race. Yeah, yeah, no, no doubt. A lot of black people. So I want to say that before people start talking about uh, Katanji and she's married to a white guy and all. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? Yeah. But I wanted to talk about why. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, I have grandchildren who are biracial, so uh, Val just opened a can of worms and I hear music in my headphones. So, so you see how he does, you see how he does, people? Val opened a can of worms right at the break. And when we come back, though, we got some other news we need to finish up with. We need to talk about gas prices that may go back up and why that is. We need to talk about Putin and we need to talk about the hurricane recovery in Florida. So stay right there. We'll be right back after these messages. For many forms of FEMA disaster assistance, we must verify you lived in and or owned the home damaged by the disaster. We try to verify occupancy and ownership by using an automated public record search. If we can't verify where you lived at the time of the disaster or the home ownership, we will send you a detailed letter requesting documents to verify your occupancy and or home ownership. We accept lots of different documents for verification. 
Our staff is willing to work with you. Talk to a FEMA Helpline representative about what documents you do have so we can help your recovery. We are committed to making sure you get the help you need. Well, right now, OPEC's decision to slash oil production is prompting calls for the U.S. to crack down on the world's largest oil suppliers. The White House saying it's weighing all options as several lawmakers renew proposals to hold Saudi Arabia and the other OPEC nations accountable, uh, potentially sue them for, quote-unquote, price-fixing. OPEC's production cut is expected to push gas prices up in the United States after falling pretty steadily from that record high over the summer. What With me now is Democrat. Welcome back to our final segment of this. I had, to, I had to show you guys this. This is the shirt I have on today. It says leadership, uh, waiting for Trump to tell you what to do, which is primarily what the problem is with the uh, Republican Party. I, I won't make you keep looking at uh, Mitch Deputy Dog uh, McConnell, but but well, we had to put some levity on this because about, I, I, on, the, on the way back in, and, and all the topics we talked about, Today have been deadly serious, right? Uh, the Senate hangs in the balance. So we talked about Sherry Beasley and Ted Budd and what the Democrats need to do and what they're doing wrong, I think. We both agree in the in the race. We talked about Warnock and in uh Herschel Walker in Georgia. Again, a seat that the Democrats have to hold on to. Beasley would be a plus, but you gotta hold on to the Warnock seat. We've talked about uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and those poor people suffering from water that we haven't given enough attention to. And in the coming weeks, I want to have some experts on to talk about Jackson. We talked about the Supreme Court, Val, and how Katanji Brown Jackson is going to have to carry the weight of being the dissenter for a long time, unless something happens, unless the court expands or people start dying because these are lifetime appointments. And then you threw a hand grenade at the end to talk about uh, uh, white and, and, and black or uh, biracial relationship, multiracial relationships. And now, Val, that brings us to the clip we saw on the way in. Gas prices are likely to go up right before the election. And I'm telling you, Val, you know this, that that's because Saudi Arabia wants the Democrats to lose. They want Joe Biden to be under as much pressure as possible also because they they got in and had a handshake deal with Putin, who's having trouble, which we'll talk about in just a minute. So let's deal real quick with these gas prices, Val. You know that gas prices are not tied to completely to supply and demand. Part of it is production, and, and, the, and OPEC has decided to reduce production. So talk to me about what you know about this current reduction in production and what the Saudis are trying to do? Well, the Saudis are, are taking advantage of their position right now, which uh, you should be doing. Uh, they know that they can uh, flip the switch or uh, control the dial that directly affects gas pricing in the United States of America. Uh, they uh, uh, put a tester out there in the water. When we went and had Joe Biden to fist bump uh, the, the uh, crown prince there and to show that we have no ill feelings about what they're doing and we will not interfere in what they're doing in Yemen 
uh, we will continue uh, giving them what we've been giving them all the time in terms of aid. And uh, the Saudis like this. They like having that uh, particular uh, sway over the, the, the greatest, the mightiest country on the planet. But beyond that, the Saudis have a, a relationship with, the, uh, with Russia as well, uh, with Putin. So they have to be very careful about how they are seen by Putin and, and Russia in terms of their relationship with the U.S. of A. So they're, they're playing cards close to the vest. And at the same time, they are trying to parlay their leverage uh, on, a, on a global basis in terms of who they really are and what their might might be, especially during a time, Ed, and this is what's important here. We are not going to be fossil fuel dependent forever. And Saudis are thinking about when that day comes that we are not the big dog on the block because of all of the oil that we sit on. Everybody's going to solar and wind and maybe even a third or fourth type of energy that we haven't even thought about yet that's not even been created. Uh, so they're thinking we might as well get everything we can out of our current position right now as being uh, the big dog on the block because of the oil that we set on, all the decaying dinosaurs <laughs> and those kind of things that are down there for millions and millions of years uh, gone by. But what the United States has to do is be aware of Saudi's position and also start putting pressure where it's due, whether it's Wall Street or some of our corporate uh, Fortune 500 people to know that they are making profits that are not really tied to supply and demand. They're making profits based on what they decide to do and how much they decide to have as profits. And we got to call it for what it is and do the right thing uh, for democracy and for plain, pure, and true capitalism and stop letting these predatory capitalists uh, have big windfalls when they should not be doing this and they're just making money when they don't have to. Yeah, $73 billion in profit for the oil industry uh, since uh, the beginning of the year is, I, 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 it's nothing short of just uh, evil. I, I, I believe you can make money. I mean, I'm a business owner as well. I've been a, a high paid consultant in my life, uh, in my career as well. Uh, I, you know, I don't want to struggle financially. I don't think anybody should. I don't think you should just take people's money, uh, though, uh, and charge them exorbitant prices for gas or anything else. If it really didn't cost you that much to produce it. Uh, it's one thing to have a profit. It's one thing to have an obscene profit. You know, one of the things Val, that we talk about in America all the time, especially people on the right, they talk about their Christianity. Uh, and, and, you know, we've had people on here, guests on before that talked about what the religious right is really about. It's about power. And we want to have some of those discussions again. And again, as we ramp the program back up, we'll have experts on to talk about the religious right. But if they can't see that, 
overcharging people for anything, gas, borrowing money, whatever it is, isn't uh, anti-Christian, then I don't know what hell, what the hell religion they're practicing. Hmm. And, and this is my show. We, we don't have any advertisers that are going to shut us off for talking about this. You can stop listening to us if, if you want to. But but if you really believe in what you're saying and you want to thump me over the head with your book about gay marriage or whatever else, uh, or even eating shellfish, whatever it is, is in your book. And then you don't talk to uh, uh, people about usury and overcharging people and treating the poor ill, then uh, I don't have much time for you. So uh, we will be talking about the religious right as we go along. And, and even when we talked about Herschel Walker, Val Herschel thinks he's Jesus. So there you go. Um, let's move on before we run out of time. Uh, this is this is a knock on to the OPEC thing. Uh, Vladimir Putin, you, you know, we've had a policy here, Val, that we haven't talked about Ukraine. And there's a reason for it. And I'll explain it to you after the elections and all that stuff. Uh, Ukraine is very problematic. It's not an easy thing to discuss. Uh, Russia should not have invaded Ukraine. That's all I'll say about it. But there's some other back stuff that that we need to, to discuss. Absolutely. Let's let's look at this clip. Vla Vladimir Putin just turned 70. And we'll talk about Putin when we come back on the other side. President Putin's 70th birthday has been met with silence from the West and a gift voucher for a tractor from one of his last remaining allies. It comes as human rights activists who oppose his war are awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. A show of military might on President Putin's 70th birthday couldn't gloss over how far the Russian leader's world standing has slipped. North Korea's Kim Jong-un, one of the only world leaders to offer birthday congratulations, along with longtime ally Alexander Lukashenko, the president of Belarus gifting him a tractor, he says, actually an IOU for one. The melons and two-metre portrait of Putin with a puppy, perhaps not the gift anticipated through 70 year, Ukrainian resistance to Russia's invasion remaining firm. So Val, Putin gets a tractor and a picture with a cat for his birthday. Uh, and, but he did have a big military parade, which they want to do, right? They do that all the time. They like to march and have parades when you're on the, uh, you know, dictator, uh, <laughs> in the dictator club. But talk to me. Uh, again, before we run out of time here, what are Putin's really pro real prospects for doing anything? This is without even bringing up Ukraine. He's damaged, right? Because people are out in the street protesting and all that stuff. He's 70 years old now. Uh, he's been around a long time. People don't trust him around the world. The only person that sent him birthday wishes were uh, uh, Ben Salman in Saudi Arabia and Kim Jong-un in North Korea. Uh, what, what's Putin's prospects of uh, raising his standing or is it, is he really done in the main, you know? I don't, I don't see how he raises his standings uh, or appears more uh, amenable to the wishes and hopes of whatever of the average world citizen and that sort of thing. I think Putin is really, uh, kicking himself 
the Russians, the old Soviet Union in the rear for what Gorbachev got them into. It always goes back to that when he agreed uh, to allow all of Eastern Europe and all of the holdings of the Soviet Union to go bye-bye and allow the West to just come in and sort of take over. But the West did it in a very, very shrewd way, Ed. What they did is say, we're not going to come in and take over and just let anybody uh, become a part of NATO and that kind of thing. They've got to apply and so forth. And we, we believe in letting people do what they want to do. Well, that was a slick way of saying you can't use weapons to take over another country. But you can tell lies, you can send false images and make people believe that this is heaven on the other side of the fence and make them clamor to come over and be a part of it or create that same heaven where they are now. That means overthrow their other government and replace or allow Westerners to come in and tell them how to do things right there. And Putin woke up one morning and said, you know what all this means? This means that all of these poor people are going to want to be westernized. And the next thing I know, I'm going to look up one morning and they're going to be American and British and French and German troops on my border. And they're going to call it NATO. And it's just going to keep coming. I'm going to be totally surrounded by them. Well, guess what? That day is here. Because uh, Scandinavia has uh, applied to NATO. That's going to be... Uh, uh, a part where American and British troops are going to be over there. And Ukraine, it looks like, uh, it's going to win. And we're going to have Rus uh, uh, British and French and American troops right now uh, on the what used to be Ukrainian-Russian border. Uh, we're going to have American troops there now. So what he didn't want to happen is going to happen. And... Uh, the question is, Ed, what is he going to do about it then? That's what becomes scary. Some of the chicken hawks think that he'll do the right thing and just surrender and give up his 6,000 nukes and, and ask to be forgiven and uh, just become a part of Western civilization. I don't Not going to happen. It's not gonna not gonna happen. I, I I and I know he's threatened to use unconventional weapons, uh, either biological or nuclear, and and that is a, a threat. Val, we, we, I don't. Time's flying by, and I don't want to run out of time. I I do want to revisit this thing with Putin because, again, if he does use those unconventional weapons, I'll just say unconventional because it could be anything. Yeah. Uh, if he does, uh, that could throw the economy of the world further off in it in it in and I'm not sure what a world war looks like in um modern terms because you just talked about the Scandinavians actually joining NATO and then Ukraine attempted to join NATO. That leaves less enemies of the United States, right? And of Western civilization that only leaves Russia and North Korea and I don't know if China comes in on the side of somebody like Putin. You know, I, I don't know what's in it for them because then they lose all that economic engine that 
we like to buy shit and we buy it from China. So I'm not sure China would uh, go in with, with Putin. I got this one last clip though, Val. This is back home in Florida. We haven't talked about Hurricane Ian. Let's look at this clip and then we'll wrap it up. Cleanup and rescue efforts continue more than a week after Hurricane Ian made landfall in Florida. Emergency crews are still looking through demolished homes and buildings for signs of life. The storm has killed at least 127 people in the U.S. As of Friday afternoon, more than 100,000 residents are still without power. Officials say it could be at least another month before power is fully restored. So I, I haven't made any secret. I, I used to be a spokesperson for FEMA. I used to go do the press conferences and, you know, be on TV and all that stuff and talk to people about recovery. And Ian may be in the top five of all hurricanes of all time. There's 127 people known dead. There were four people dead in the Triangle, where we are in North Carolina, that from the impacts of the storm. And, and it seems, Val, that, that this weather thing has gotten worse and worse. And in, in whether you believe in global warming or not, these storms are much worse. Talk to me real quick about Hurricane Ian and, and, and what do we do to try to make ourselves better prepared and, and whether or not the maybe even the laws need to be changed to help people recover after these things. Well, one of the things that uh, in, in the recovery uh, efforts that people have got to start paying attention to is building back better. I know it sounds like a Biden commercial here, but you can't build back the same way that you had it before. You got to build back stronger. You got to move away from fossil fuel and that sort of thing. Because even when you go out and you, you buy your generators and stuff like that, guess what most generators run off of? <laughs> Gasoline, okay? Uh, so we've got to start thinking about coming up with better ways of combating not only uh, the hurricane itself by reducing uh, fossil fuel uh, uh, residue uh, in the climate and that sort of thing, but building back what uh, the hurricane has destroyed in a better way. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, and we'll we'll be visiting that in the coming weeks. I know a lot of people who are down there working in Puerto Rico and in Florida and in Kentucky, uh, which people have forgotten. These things, these stories come up, Val, because there's a disaster somewhere. And then all of a sudden they're gone because there's so many things. We covered seven, eight topics today and we still could have covered 10 more. And, and we could have used a whole nother hour. But we're not going to waste your time, people, because I know you got stuff to do. It, I'm looking out the window uh, high above North Hills and uh, Raleigh. Uh, it looks like a beautiful day, at least here in North Carolina. Wherever you are, I hope it's a beautiful day. And as we always do, we tell you to go do something good for somebody today and come back next Saturday for another edition of The Deal. Talk to you later.